Blog Talk Radio. Philadelphia, 
something my co-host uh, would uh, certainly appreciate. Absolutely, yes. We'll we'll talk about our Philadelphia connections in another session, please, believe me. Exactly. But, Mr. Pink, I'd like to start off with the first question. You have experienced a lot of success. So can you tell us, in your definition, some of the successes you're most proud of, and, and what is your definition of success? Yeah, in my in my latest book, Black Faces in White Places, my co-author, uh, Dr. Jeffrey Robinson, who's also my business partner and college roommate and longtime friend, uh, we we talk about our definition of success and more importantly, our definition of greatness. And it's actually very simple. Our definition of success is what you do for yourself. And our definition of greatness is what you do for somebody else. And what, what, what we've realized and what, what, what we all realize is that society really challenges us and, and pushes us. And, and, and in fact, we also, we also push ourselves uh, to be successful. And we, we write books about success and we go to seminars on success. And if I were to advertise uh, you know, 100 ways that I can guarantee your success, I'd have a packed room. Uh, but by comparison, we don't talk as much. In fact, we don't really even understand nor, uh, nor define what it means to achieve greatness. And uh, Dr. King has a great quote that says, uh, uh, everyone can be great because everyone can serve. Uh, and if I were to extend that, everyone can serve others, can be of service to others, can give back to others, can uh, give back to their community. And, and, and so while I, I'm, not, I'm not mad at, at folks who want to be successful, because I certainly aspire to do the same, I think we have to keep in the proper context, as I try to do for myself, that uh, I believe our, our, our greater calling, uh, no pun intended, or our our ultimate calling is really to be great, and, and that is to be of service to others, and that uh, we are blessed to be a blessing to others. So, you know, if I were to talk about success, I'd talk about being a Rhodes Scholar and winning The Apprentice and running a multimillion-dollar company, BCT Partners. But more importantly, if I were to talk about greatness, I'd talk about being a husband, being a father, uh, you know, being a friend, uh, and, and above all, being a child of God. Wow, that's fascinating. That's a, those are both all great points, Dr. Pinkett. And we hear a lot about success and greatness. What we don't hear a lot about is failure. And at the BDPA conference, uh, I've had several conversations with other members about this as well. Uh, what could you share with our listening audience about managing failure? Because everyone is going to fail. You're going to fail more than you succeed, and you know you need to know how to manage and learn from that failure. Could you expand on that, please? Absolutely, and, and, and I, I talked about this, as, as you're aware, at the BDPA National Conference. Uh, I talked about a, a, a mindset of being an innovator that has a healthy acceptance of failure, that the only way uh, to innovate, and arguably the only way to succeed, uh, is to fail, but most importantly, it's learning the lessons from failure and what I call, and others call, failing fast, that uh, the faster you fail, the faster you get to success. The challenge is, uh, you know, people oftentimes 
they you know internalize failure as if it says something negative about them, and as a result, uh, they they focus on the negative as opposed to on the positive, which is that there are lessons embedded somewhere within that failure that are important for you to extract and important to learn. And so uh, I know at, 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 uh, speaking personally and also uh, from the perspective of, of my business, BCT Partners, you know, we, we try to discipline ourselves to take the time after failure to, to document and to discuss the lessons. But, but perhaps most importantly, we don't see failure as a badge of, of, uh, of negativity or shame, but rather, don't get me wrong, it's not like we want to fail. It's not like we take pride in failing, but we recognize that failure is just part and parcel of getting better. And, and so as a result, we don't, we, don't, we don't frown upon it, but rather we discipline ourselves to learn the lessons from that failure. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Um, and, and so uh, talking about the, the BDPA and the BDPA conference and uh, some of the listeners that they don't know, BDPA stands for Black Data Processors Association. And it's a 40-year-old organization. It was created by uh, Earl Pace, Jr., and, and especially a time to give and nurture minorities, and especially African Americans, um, and uh, the mantras from the classroom to the boardroom. Um, and, and my question is to you, in your experience, um, do you see where we have to have these organizations uh, where you we're specifically focusing on African Americans and minorities? And um, do you see that we've made progress, or do you still see that there's there's still a, a important need for this? And um, you know, what are some of the pros and cons? Just what are your thoughts? I'll open by saying that we, we absolutely need these organizations, and I'm a product of, of, of these kinds of organizations. You know, I, I came up through a program called the Minority Engineering Program in high school. Uh, I, I, was, I was introduced to my alma mater, Rutgers, through a program called the Minority Introduction to Engineering Program. Subsequently went on to study engineering and, and, and earn degrees in science and technology and the like. Uh, and became a member of, of, of NSBE and BDPA and, and ITSMF and a number of organizations that, 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 are, that are, are geared toward African Americans and trying to expand the pipeline for African Americans in, in, the, in STEM arenas. So we absolutely need these organizations, but, but what we also need is we need to continue to evolve and mature the landscape for these organizations, and by that I mean there was once a time when there were none of these organizations, uh, and then there was a, a, a small but growing cadre, um, and then as, as the organizations evolved, they began to segment with, say, a NSBE focused on collegiate, uh, or, or a BDPA focused on, on professionals, or an ITSMF focused on executives, uh, and, and so we've seen uh, you know, evolve, evolution, and we've seen maturity, but I think the next phase of evolution is building bridges between these organizations and across these organizations. And we see some signs of that. Uh, you know, uh, the Information Technology Senior Management Forum, the ITSMF, partnering with the, the, uh, the Hispanics in, in, in technology is one example. Uh, certainly we've seen collaborations between like a NSBE and a Society of Hispanic Professional Engineers or Society of Women Engineers. But I don't think we've done a good job of formalizing those structures that 
if we take a cue from the, the, the journalists of color who created a, a separate organization that com- combines the African-American journalist, the Hispanic journalist, the uh, Asian-American journalist under one umbrella, I, I think that what's needed now in, in the STEM arena is to build those kinds of structures that we are deepening the, the, the strategies, deepening the discussions, and then hopefully amplifying the outcomes and the issues that are common across ethnicity. I believe we can only do but so much focusing in only on issues that affect African Americans or only Hispanics or only other ethnic groups. Now we must begin to formalize how we work across these lines of difference and also build bridges to our majority counterparts in order to continue to move the needle. So we've made progress, but there's still work to do. Thank, thank you so much, and I, I so can relate to your your response, and um, it, it resonates so well. We like to use the catchphrase, united we stem. So <laughs> together we can work, get through this and um, really start to innovate. Uh, innovation isn't something that you can do in a vacuum. So um, really respect that, that answer. Yes, absolutely. And additionally, as you mentioned, uh, uh, Dr. Pinkett, there, there's a cross-pollination of individuals within these organizations. Many of our BDPA members are also members of ITSMS, you in particular being a member of BDPA and ITSMS, as well as LISA. So that cross-pollination continues, and it, as you said, it should continue because history will repeat itself. We have to continually stress the importance of STEM education within the minority communities, that most specifically for us, the black community, as uh, in, in order to not repeat some of the negative history and to keep our culture and society growing. Um, so, the, uh, so what's next for you, sir, if you could, as far as STEM-related activities at the, at, at the scholastic level, meaning K through the college, what activities are you planning in the future, in the near future here, uh, specifically related to STEM? Well, you know, my, my, my focus these days is, is primarily on uh, being a, a, a technology entrepreneur, being an entrepreneur in, in the STEM arena, uh, and, and, and quite frankly, uh, trying to grow my business uh, to be as, as, as big and as bad and as, uh, as impactful as it can possibly be. Uh, and to build and create wealth, uh, recognizing that that by having more uh, minority-owned, African-American-owned companies in the STEM arena, uh, where there is still lots of money being made, where there are still lots of opportunities being generated, uh, it has a ripple effect. And, and I mean it on multiple levels, not only as a role model or as a, as a light or a beacon or an inspiration for others, but I'm talking about real jobs for real people to pay their real bills in real ways and to create institutions that are sensitive and focused on, on how we have a larger and greater footprint within STEM. Um, that it's one thing to recruit more African-Americans in STEM, uh, which, is, which is really a zero-sum game. If I get more today, you get less tomorrow. Uh, but really to build the pipeline, to expand the pipeline, that there's more 
African Americans in these fields tomorrow than there were today. And that's not a zero-sum game. That's expanding the pie. And so if you really want to ask, well, what am I doing right now? I'm trying to, to build my business. That's what I'm trying to do. When I think about what, what Bill Gates has done, with, you know, not only through Microsoft, but also through the Gates Foundation or what say, Oprah Winfrey has done through her angel network or her cable network or her radio network uh, or what a Kathy Hughes has done or others uh, or what David Stewart has done with worldwide technology. We need more of that. And so that's where I'm focusing my energies, believing that that's where I believe I'm called right now and that there may be other activities that lie down uh, down the timeline, but for now, I'm trying to just bring BTT partners uh, to a point of really reaching scale, just reaching scale. Mm-hmm. No, a- absolutely, and it completely makes sense because uh, we all, as you mentioned before, we have to play our part, and whether it's BDPA volunteers helping coach and train and, and you know, bring up the next uh, innovators and uh, technologists, and then there's uh, yourself, building organizations that can employ them so that there's jobs and opportunities waiting for them. Absolutely. So there's so many pieces to this, this puzzle, and we, we applaud you for that. And, and I, I want to turn some of the questions toward, uh, first of all, your, your two books, and, and one of them, the one that I picked up, it was The Campus CEO, The Student Entrepreneur's Guide to Launching a Multimillion-Dollar Business, and that allowed you to graduate and get your degrees debt-free. So can you expand upon and, and talk to young people about the, the significance of this? Absolutely. Yeah, I'm, I'm a, a proud uh, campus CEO. Uh, I started my first business when I was an undergraduate at Rutgers, and, I, and, I'm, and, I'm, and I'm not ashamed to say I, I, I sold compact discs out of my dormitory at Rutgers. That was my first full-fledged business, and that, 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 it, that ignores uh, my lemonade stand and the candy I sold in high school and the toys I tried to sell to other kids in my neighborhood. Uh, but if you count those, then, then the compact disc was, was, my, was my fourth business. Uh, but it was uh, representative and reflective of what was then and is even more so now a growing trend, uh, that we are seeing – uh, a growing number of young people becoming more and more successful as entrepreneurs. And I could start with Bill Gates and Michael Dell. Uh, I could parlay that to Google and Yahoo and, and, and Facebook. And, and I could even uh, accelerate that to some companies founded by young people who folks don't even know were founded by young people, like Nike, founded by a student athlete and his coach, uh, Federal Express, founded by Fred Smith at the University of Memphis, where he wrote a paper in his class and got a C from the professor. Uh, you know, you could talk about Pizza Hut, Subway. Uh, you could talk about uh, a number of, of different ventures, even Bad Boy Records with Sean Diddy Combs and Def Jam Recordings by Russell Simmons all had their seeds planted on uh, college campuses. Uh, and so the book Campus CEO was my attempt to do two things, to really highlight this trend uh, of student entrepreneurship, but, but, uh, but also to give young people what I did not have, because I learned about entrepreneurship uh, the, the, hard, the hard way through the school of hard knocks by, by making mistakes, getting back to our, our discussion earlier. 
there was no single resource that I could turn to that gave me the blueprint for how to go from concept uh, to business plan to launch to growth. And I wrote Campus CEO to be exactly that, the blueprint for any young or aspiring entrepreneur um, who wanted the ABCs and the one, two, threes, and who, who, is, who has the, the energy and the entrepreneurial spirit that we're seeing more and more amongst young people today. Absolutely. And, and I dare say that I think that even companies, even corporate America is, is appreciating more um, people who have been entrepreneurs. Um, even coming into the organization, you come with a different perspective, a more holistic experience and perspective um, in addition to your degrees when you have been an entrepreneur. So not only does it allow you to graduate debt-free, but um, I think even in corporate America, from my experience, that I've seen an appreciation of, of young people that show that they uh, have, you know, endeavored for entrepreneurs because, as we talked earlier, they've made some of those mistakes and had to recover from some of those mistakes. And those are valuable, you know, lessons. Um, so um, th- thank you for that. And, and let me ask you this. Uh, this may sound like a simplistic question, but you have five degrees, very impressive. Can you talk us through what was – how did you navigate and find yourself uh, the, with the, your five degrees and, and some of the choices? How, how early on did you know that technology you, was an area of interest for you? I, I've, been, I've, been, I've been so blessed, uh, and I, I, I can't you know, say that enough. I've, I've been so blessed that I, I was able to, uh, to find uh, and to know my gifts. Uh, and my passion, and I, and I draw a distinction, passion being the things that, that I was naturally drawn to do and gifts being the things that I was naturally able to do. I was always naturally able to do well with math and science, and, 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 and thankfully my parents nurtured that uh, by, you know, I remember when, I told, when my brother and I told our father and our mother that we wanted a video game, they said, if, you know, if you want to play the video game, you have to make the video game, and rather than buying us a game console. They bought us a computer, and we were so upset with them for that. We were like, what are you doing giving us a computer? Who wants to make games? Who want to play games? Uh, but it was wisdom that they demonstrated because after months of that computer gathering dust, we finally opened it up, and, and we started writing code, and we started designing games, and we started developing some real skills other than pointing and clicking and downloading uh, and so my gift has been technology. My passion has been entrepreneurship. And, and I, I, I've known that since I was in elementary school. And, again, I, I realize that not everyone is that fortunate, but I've been blessed in that regard. But the real pivotal moment was when I got to college, if you asked me what I saw myself doing when I graduated, I would have told you I saw myself working in corporate America as an engineer. Now, that's not a bad answer. In fact, it's actually a pretty good answer. If I had a young person tell me they want to be an engineer in corporate America, I'd say that's a great goal, it's a great objective. But guess what? That wasn't my calling because I'd been doing all these entrepreneurial things growing up, but I had no example, no role model that told me I could be a business owner despite the fact I sold lemonade and sold candy and sold toys. And so to make a long story short, it took a childhood friend of mine named Wayne Abbott who started his own company selling T-shirts, that when I saw Wayne selling T-shirts, I was probably 18 years old, 
And Wayne inspired me to say, if he can do it, why can't I do it? And at the age of 19, I started selling compact discs, and I've never worked for anybody since then. That's fascinating. And, and you talk about that as well as your entrepreneurship spirit uh, in your latest book, in your book, The Campus CEO. And uh, speaking of books, your latest book, Black Faces in White Places, it has such a, it could have a potentially controversial title. Are you afraid of offending potential clients? And also, could you share with us your challenges that you and your co-author had to overcome that led to the writing of your book? Yeah, so, you know, you said that it, it, it could have a, a controversial title. I'll just uh, respond to that and say it, it does have a controversial title. Uh, <laughs> it's I'd very provocative. It, it, it's very provocative, and that is not by accident. Um, it is by design. Uh, J- J- Jeffrey and I, again, my, my co-author, uh, you know, have grown up and have come of age and sadly still find ourselves as one of the only African Americans or the only persons of color in the professional circles within which we walk. And if you're an African American in STEM, I'm almost confident that you know exactly what I'm talking about, that, you're, that you've been the only one in your class, in your school, in your department, in your corporation, take your pick. You've, you've, you've experienced the phenomenon of being one of the only ones of the few. And that is the phenomenon we describe in black faces in white places. What does it mean to be the only one? And there's no way to candy coat that. The fact is we are still underrepresented in several professional uh, arenas, um, STEM being high among them. So let's just call it what it is. Oftentimes I'm a black face in some very white places. Uh, and that's got to change. Uh, and so the book, it was written and is designed uh, to, to help folks navigate that reality and to do it without losing a sense of who they are. And, and we could have certainly watered it down or we could have made the title more acceptable or more palatable, um, but at the end of the day, it, it is what it is, and the book is, is, is our attempt to try to capture that dynamic to provide strategies to navigate it, and, and again, for folks to look in the mirror at the end of their careers and be proud of what they see as the reflection. I agree. Thank you for that, Dr. Pinkett. It's, it's, it's so important to uh, uh, communicate that, and as you mentioned, not dumb down the content or the issue to uh, a lesser audience, but to elevate those to read it and to uh, 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 to continue to push that type of a uh, dynamic in a positive way. Absolutely, absolutely. Let yeah, and the truth is, and oh, the go, truth go. is, you know, we, you know, we, we not, there have been, you know, invitations that we've we've gotten to speak at corporations, and and and, and they they won't advertise the title. They'll, they'll 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 change it to something different. And I understand that. I mean, you know, uh, you know, we, we've 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 come a long way. We 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 have more work to do. So it's not like these issues are above ground and above the table, uh, you know, everywhere and amongst everyone. But the only way we make progress is to have these kinds of dialogues and to challenge uh, people's assumptions so that the next generation has it a little easier than we did. No, absolutely, absolutely. And, and one of the questions I, I wanted to ask, kind of piggyback on that, is is absolutely we, we need those opportunities 
Um, one of the reasons both of us are um, longtime members of BDPA, we're in the Atlanta chapter, um, and uh, I should say the award-winning Atlanta chapter, we're chapter of the year <laughs> as, of, uh, as of this year's uh, conference. But um, one of the things is for us, BDPA represents us helping ourselves, and, and then the, with the support, of course, of the Friends of BDPA and their financial support and our sponsors. Um, it, but sometimes it's, it's not about someone giving us something. I find where BDPA has so much to offer, um, bringing people in, nurturing them, exposing them, um, and winning scholarships. Um, so it's all set up. And sometimes I'm remiss because they're not knocking down our doors, where, you know, that we just have such a surplus and waiting list that we just can't handle. It, it's quite um, different where we're trying to pull and drag and find students to take advantage of this opportunity. So I, I just want to put that out to you, and especially, of course, we're hearing a lot with young ladies not finding technology and STEM attractive, um, or even um, our young people, um, minorities and blacks, um, afraid of math. What do you say to us where, in some um, circumstances, we're the ones that are holding ourselves back? I mean, what are your thoughts? No, you, you raise, you raise a, 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 an excellent point and, and another another reality uh, that, 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 that requires deeper discussion and, 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 and quite frankly, just discussion that, uh, that there are a number of programs that are, that are underutilized, uh, that, are, that are underexplored, uh, and not just STEM. I mean, another hot topic these days is males of color, and uh, that's an area where, where we've done some work at, at BCT Partners. And, and even in that space, uh, as folks are, are working to try to address the, the disparities in educational and professional outcomes for males of color, yet again, uh, you know, we, 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 we've, got, we've got empty rooms and we've got, uh, you know, underutilized activities. But, but you know what, but I'll just say this, that, that at the end of the day, the onus is on us uh, to figure out the strategies and the techniques that are needed to engage these populations. And by that I mean, I mean uh, those of us who sponsor these programs, those of us who are parents of young people, those of us who are mentors uh, to protégés, that's our responsibility. I mean, I mean, don't get me wrong, there is some onus on, on our young people, um, but we've got to be the ones that, that set the table and set the stage. Uh, and, and it cannot, let me say it more plainly, it cannot be on our watch uh, that we're losing our young people that, that have those gifts in STEM, or we're losing our males of color who have such promise. It cannot be on our watch. It's our responsibility. And so having said that, I think that there is still uh, some, uh, some, some untapped and fertile ground around how we more clearly make the connection between the things that our young people are already naturally drawn toward and how that connects into STEM. I mean, we already know that young people are engaged with their cell phones, with uh, video, with, uh, with video games, with mobile applications, uh, with downloading, uh, with, you know, with these handheld devices. I mean, they are, I mean they're addicted to these things. But, but realizing that, that everything that underlies uh, those technologies is connected to STEM. And so how do we, or, or how do we do a better job of 
making clear that if, if you have this natural affinity or natural connection or natural passion around all of these technology, all these technologies that, that are enmeshed in our life, STEM is the, is, is the actual foundation for all of that. And I, I don't know if we've done a good job of, of making that connection and being able to draw young people in based on where their passions already lie. Um, and, 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 and as much as, say, to be more specific, mobile applications uh, are, 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 are like the, the you know, it's like a gold mine right now. Uh, here at BCT, you know, we're designing programs that can engage young people in exactly that activity of being mobile application developers uh, and to find entry points for them to be able to do that, that tap into their natural passions. I couldn't agree with you more. A, a lot of a lot of these games that kids that everyone plays, adults too, uh, you know, they draw and they and they draw actually on a lot of techniques and skill sets we rely on in the business world today, and they don't even realize it. You, you, you're managing computer animated uh, um, uh, people and organizing things. So you have these skill sets, and it's up to us to expand on that and draw that out of everyone to uh, show them how it relates to the STEM uh, career field and the kids as well. Um, no, as you mentioned, you, uh, your parents gave you guys a computer, and your initial thought was, what are you doing? What's, why this computer? Uh, and then eventually you, you, you learn how to utilize it and, and believe in the values that it provided to you and your, and your, uh, and, and, and your siblings. So, um, so as far as getting that message out, many people have an image of you uh, from The Apprentice. Maybe not everyone, but some of us remember you from The Apprentice Season 4. Um, what would you like other people to know about you that may be more important than knowing you uh, from that? Of course, we already know you from your affiliation with ITSMF and BDPA, which outweighs that, that shows your show's apprentice by 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 volume. So so what more do you want people to know about you, sir? I'm I'm, I'm happy to answer that. And just a a, a word. Uh, my my office blocked out 30 minutes for the interview. Uh, so I'm hoping that we'll we'll be able to wrap up relatively soon. But but let me let me respond uh, to the question directly. You know, the apprentice is is an interesting phenomenon for me. Uh, for a number of reasons, I mean, people have perceptions and opinions of, of reality television, and, 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 and quite frankly, I, I have my opinions and perceptions of reality television, and, and whether, whether you love it or whether you hate it, uh, you know, and, and I would argue that, that The Apprentice, uh, for my season, uh, was uh, still evolving in the sense that I think the show became less and less about business and more and more about reality uh and, and and that the show suffered to some extent as a result of that but but regardless of your opinion you know uh i i cannot say enough about the platform that being on a nationally televised program um has provided i mean there were about 15 million people who saw my finale uh, for The Apprentice uh, in the U.S., and there's, I think, about 300 million people in the U.S. So that's it's about one out of every 20 people in the U.S. saw that show. 
and, 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 and the beauty of it was I wasn't playing an African-American with a Ph.D. in technology. Uh, I, I, I am an African-American with a Ph.D. in technology. So I wasn't playing a character. I was playing myself. Uh, and, and I just can't say how, how powerful and impactful, to my surprise, that has been as I've traveled in the, in the, in the eight years uh, uh, or, the, or the nine years uh, since I won on The Apprentice. Uh, so having said that, what do I want people to know? You know, it's not that complicated. You know, it, it's, it's, it's that, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm a child of God. I'm a man who's been incredibly blessed, and I'm trying to be a blessing to others. Uh, that that, I, that my gift is in technology. My, my passion is entrepreneurship. You know, I, I'm a technology entrepreneur who is trying to make a profit and trying to make a difference. And if and if and if I'm able to live up to, uh, you know, to the to the to the, the the biblical mantra that for those to whom much is given, much is expected, then I believe I've been given much, and hopefully I'm able uh, by the end of my days to to give much back. Well, thank you so much, and we thank you for giving us this 30 minutes, and and we apologize for running over, but what you have to say is so powerful. We want to get that message out, um, and you're doing so much good. To those who didn't make the BDPA conference and get to hear and see you in person and get a copy of your book, shame on you, but you can still get copies of his book, Campus CEO and Black Faces in White Places, we support you, and, and we appreciate you, and our mic is open to you anytime. Please, we hope we can do this again soon. No, thank you both for what you're doing to, to really raise the, the, raise the issues and, and the dialogue and, 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 and foster conversation about some very, very important issues. Uh, we, we appreciate you for what you're doing and just continued success and continued blessings to both of you. Thank you very much. Thank you, everyone, and thank you to all our listeners. We've been talking with Randall Pinkett, uh, and please continue to follow Randall Pinkett. We'll have links and references so that you can follow him as well at www.randallpinkett.com and www.redefinethegame.com. Stay in touch. Thank you to our listeners for this noon update, and we'll be talking to you soon. Bye-bye now. BDPA would like to thank all of its silver and bronze corporate sponsors for supporting our 36th annual Race to Innovate National BDPA Technology Conference and Free Career Fair at the JW Marriott in Indianapolis, Indiana from August 5th through 9th. Built on the principles of leadership through excellence, BDPA's silver and bronze corporate sponsors will help BDPA to achieve its goal of filling the STEM pipeline with computer scientists, engineers, and other technical professionals, as well as present the Indianapolis community with a mirage of employment opportunities at the Free Career Fair. BDPA is recognized nationally as a global member-focused technology organization with over 45 active chapters in the United States. We continue to stand as a leader in delivering 21st century technological programs. And BDPA is honored to partner with our world-class silver and bronze level corporations who believe in our vision for the future. For more information on the BDPA Technology Conference and Career Fair or to become a sponsor, please visit www.bdpa.org.
BDPA would like to thank Eli Lilly and Company, HP, and Johnson & Johnson for its generous platinum corporate sponsorship of its 36th annual National BDPA Technology Conference and Career Fair, August 5th through 9th at the JW Marriott in Indianapolis, Indiana. These platinum corporate sponsors not only offer exceptional financial support, but also participate in programs developed to enhance the technical and professional skills of the African-American community. BDPA is a nonprofit organization of students and professionals working in or having an interest in the computer science and information technology fields. BDPA is proud to have corporate platinum sponsors like Eli Lilly and Company, HP, and Johnson & Johnson, not only for their financial support, but for their participation in programs developed to enhance the technical and professional skills of the African-American community and help close the digital divide. For more information on the National BDPA Technology Conference and Free Career Fair or to become a sponsor, visit www.bdpa.org. Thanks, everyone.